Welcome to the Saving Grace Adventist Church Sermon Podcast. We pray that you will be blessed by the Word of God. Three things I'm so happy about today. One is that the Holy Spirit is here with us today. Two, that you all are here today. And three, that I'm here today. Amen? Amen. Shall we pray? Father in heaven, you know that I'm unworthy to stand before your people. So Lord, I pray now that you will endow your blessing upon me. Put words into my mouth as I speak to your people so that we can live here today being a better Christian, prepare for your kingdom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Today I will speak on the topic of holiness in God's church. And there's a lot of men in the Bible that I admire. But today, one of my favorite today is none other than Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah, I admire Nehemiah is that he was a man refused to get sucked up in, sucked up in by the allured of the world. The man that I'm talking about is none other than Nehemiah. You see, Nehemiah never get accustomed to sin. You hear the story about the frog and the kettle, and how if you throw the frog into a pot of boiling water, he will hop right out. But if you put him in a pot of water and slowly turn, turn up the heat, you could cook that frog to death because he got accustomed to it. He is used to it, and he doesn't realize that he is being cooked to death. I think the frog in the water that getting gradually heated up is a picture of how so many of us function today. You see, our eyes have just gradually grown accustomed to the darkness and sin around us. We tend to fit in and adjust to it. My brothers and sisters, Nehemiah never got adjusted to the darkness and sin, even when everyone else around him had become decent and nice. They, they were just taking things in and adjust to the time. But not Nehemiah. Why? Because he had the law of God written in his heart. He has a love for God, a passion for God, and a passion for holiness that compelled him to care when God's law was being disregarded. It mattered deeply to him. Let me give you a little background, and then I will tell you about the life of Nehemiah. Nehemiah was one of the Jewish exiles that was living in Persia around 400 B.C. At one point, Ezra, who was a contemporary of Nehemiah, led a group of group of those exiled back to their homeland, back to Jerusalem, to rebuild the temple that was being demolished. Fourteen years later, after the first exile had gone back to rebuild the temple, Nehemiah was still in Persia, receiving, received word that the wall of the city was still broken down, and, the, and in despair, and dis, dislapidated. There was still work to be done, in his homeland in Jerusalem. To make a long story short, 
Nehemiah left his comfortable job where he had a nice position serving the king and he made a journey about 900 miles to help his fellow Jews restore the city by rebuilding the wall. Brethren, when Nehemiah reached Jerusalem, he faced incredible opposition from various, source, from various sources. And I say to us, church, when we are working for the Lord, we will face opposition. But we must work anyhow. What do you say, Ella? Amen. 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 Yes. Let me just mention three names of those who spearhead the opposition of Nehemiah. You'll find that in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. One of them name was Sanballat, Tobiah, and Geshem. Let's turn our Bible to our scripture reading to Nehemiah chapter 13. And I'll, we'll start at verse 10. He said, I found out that the portion of the Levites has not been given to them, so that the Levites and the singers who did the work had fled each to his field. You see, they had promised to take care of the Levites, to take care of the temple, to give their tithes and offering, but they had stopped giving, and so the Levites had to go back into the field to earn a living because their needs were not being met. And brethren, if we should do that today, that's what the pastors them would have to do. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 15. They had stopped observing the Sabbath also. He said, in those days I saw in Judah people treading wine presses on the Sabbath and bringing heaps of grain and loading them on donkeys and also wine, grapes, figs, and all kind of load which they bought in Jerusalem on the Sabbath day. Now turn your Bible to Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 28 to 32. And you'll see. Nehemiah chapter 10, verse 28 to 32. I'll see Sister Michelle read it for us. Read it. And the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the porters, the singers, the Nethinims, and all they that separated themselves from the people of the land unto the law of God, their wives, their sons, and their daughters, everyone having knowledge and having understanding. They clave to their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and into an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our God and his judgments and his statutes. And that we would not give our daughters unto the people of the land, nor take their daughters to our, for our sons. And if the people of the land were if the people of the land bring their ware or any victuals on the Sabbath day to sell, that we would not buy it of them on the Sabbath or on the holy day, and that we would leave the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. And we made ordinances for us to charge ourselves yearly with a third part of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. 
They said, we won't do this. But, but here Nehemiah comes back, and they are doing the very thing they had promised not to do. And if we turn to Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 23, it says, In those days also I saw the Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. And half of their children spoke the language of Ash Ashdod, and they could not speak the language of Judah, but only the language of each people. So the Jews had come, become integrated into pagan, godless, and believing culture around them, and it started out, and it started out by dating, courtship, and marriage that God had forbidden, and that they said they will not do. My brothers and sisters, when we let down our guard, the, the devil will step in. As Nehemiah saw these offenses against God's law, as he saw that they had broken this covenant, his covenant, he was mortified. He boldly confronted the people over their backslidden condition. Verse 13, verse 13, um, um, no, chapter 13, verse 11. He said, so I confronted the officials and said, why the house of God forsaken? And in verse 17 of the same chapter, 13, he said, then I confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing you are doing profaning the Sabbath day? Let us turn our Bible again to Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 26 and 20, chapter 13, 25 and 26. It read, I confronted them and cursed them and beat some of them and pulled out their hair. And I made them take oath in the name of God, saying, You shall not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons or for yourselves. Do not Solomon, king of Israel, sin on account of such women. And on verse 27, in verse 27, he paraphrased, he goes on to say, what is this evil thing you are doing? I want to say that the New Testament gives us, as a, as a church, specific direction about how we are to handle this situation. It doesn't say anything about pulling out people's hair or cursing them. But what I want, to, want you to see is that Nehemiah took sin seriously that he was passionate about holiness, that he said, this has to be dealt with. It cannot swept under the carpet. Brethren, some of the things that we swept under the carpet is things that we should confront. confront. Some of the things we confronted, that's what needs to, to be swept under the carpet. One of the most serious offenses that Nehemiah encountered when he, when he came back to Jerusalem involved the man named Tobiah the Ammonite. You read about him, you read about this incident in verse 4 through 9 of chapter 13. Shall we read it together? Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 4 through 9. Let's just read it loudly. Are we there? Yes. Um, Nehemiah chapter 13, Four through nine, verse four through nine, and it says, "And before this, Eliashib, the priest, have oversight the chamber of the house of our God, and ate 
Tobai. And he had prepared for him a great chamber, where afore they laid the meat offering, the frankincense, and the vessels, and the tithe of the corn, and the new wine, and the oil, which was commanded to be given to the Levites, and the strangers, and the porters, and the offering of the priests. But in all this time was not Where are we? Verse, uh, let's start verse 6 again. But in all this time was not I at Jerusalem for the two and thirteen years of Artaxerxes, the king of Babylon, came unto the king, and after certain days obtained a leave for the king. And I came to Jerusalem and understood of the evil that Elisha did to the Tobiah, preparing him a chamber in the courts of the house of God. And it grieved me sore. Therefore I cast forth all the household stuff to have Tobiah out the chamber. Then I commanded, and they cleansed the chamber. And sister bought again the vessel of the house of God with the meat offering and the frankincense. All right. So Tobiah, the man who years earlier had done everything in his power to oppose the work of God. When they had been trying to rebuild the, the city wall, but, but over the years, the Israelites had gotten to know Tobiah better. You see, they start to mingle now. He started, he started out being the enemies, their opponent, but then they got to know each other. The Israelites began to socialize with Tobiah. They gradually let down their guard, and the casual relationship ultimately led to more intimate relationship. Those intimate relationships included marriage, ties between Tobiah's family and Eliashib, the priest. And this Eliashib was a man, he was a grandson, great-grandson of King Hezekiah. Their sons and their daughter married each other. Over time, the differences between Tobiah and the, and the Ammonites and God's people who were set apart for God, those differences all but disappear. Unbelievable. By the time that Nehemiah returned, this sworn enemy of God, Tobiah, was actually living in a temple. This was in direct violation to God's command, God's command years earlier that no Ammonite should ever be allowed to set foot in the temple. And God has given reason for that. Yet, there Tobiah was living in a room that had given to him by the priest. And not only the priest, but the high priest. Undoubtedly, that change of a fear did not take place overnight. Sin doesn't usually come into our lives or our homes or our churches overnight. People don't just go from one day being happily married, faithfully committed to each other, and then just jump into bed with someone else, someone, somebody else's spouse. It doesn't happen overnight, usually. There is a process that leads to the encroachment of sin into our lives and into our church. I think it probably happened in, the in this situation the same way it often does in our lives. One compromise probably led to another and then another. Soon the priests and the people found ways of justifying things that years earlier they would not even consider justifying. A spirit of tolerance became exalted over a spirit, over a spirit of truth. 
I can imagine then just thinking and saying, you know, Tobiah is not, is not really such a bad guy. And his family, his wife is kind and nice. And he got nice kids. And they're fitting so well here. It doesn't seem right to tell him he can't stay just because he's not a Jew. We don't want to be legalistic about, about this. You can imagine how the reason went and developed. So the goddess Tobiah, the Ammonite, moved into the temple while the people kept on doing church, doing their religious stuff, going through the motion. They were not the least bit troubled about the state of affair when Nehemiah arrived back to Jerusalem. But, but to Nehemiah, who cared deeply about God and about holiness, this was an unthinkable situation. To him, it was like a frog thrown into the pot of boiling water. No way he had not gotten adjusted to this. He was furious and he acted decisively. Nehemiah chapter 13, verse 4 through 9. Read that. You can read about this in verse 4 through 9 in chapter 13. Nehemiah physically hurled Tobiah, threw him out, and all his position out of the temple. Then he gave orders to purify the room that had been become desecrated. He denounced the evil situation, and he called on the priests and the people to repent. He called on the priests and the people to repent. Who was Nehemiah? Nehemiah was neither a king. He was not priest. He was not prophet. He was just a man who loved God. Why were these offenses so, such a big deal to Nehemiah? And why did he feel the need to interfere in other people's lives? After, af, after all, today, if you go to your church sister or your brother, or someone, somebody in the church, or even your son or your daughter, or a friend, and you talk to them, you confronted them about something that is not pleasing to God. The things you're likely, the things you're likely going to hear is not your business. All right. So why did Nehemiah feel that this was, the, this was his business or that he needed to make it his business? Why wasn't he just content to obey God himself and leave others alone? My brothers and sisters, because the love that Nehemiah had for God, he was compelled for the passion of the glory of God to be dis displayed in God's people. He, his heart for holiness put him in a tiny minority, a, a tiny minority even among God's people. But let me tell you something. One with God is majority. Noah and his family went into that ark as minority. But they came out as majority. All that mattered to him. No, if you, if, you have, if you have a love for the holiness, uh, for holiness today, it will put you in a tiny, tiny minority, even among God's people. And we have to be aware of that. But for Nehemiah, he didn't seem notice, seem to notice or to care. He wasn't trying to win any popularity contest. All that mattered to him was that the holy name of God had been prof profaned. He longed to see God's name hallowed once again. This parallel between the story of Nehemiah and the church 
in our days, I think are striking. We have a lot of people today who call themselves believers, active members, active members of their churches. They are turning out a lot of religious activities. But we have, to a large extent in our church today, thrown out or rewrite the law of God. Sister Ellen G. White in page, page, page 626 of Prophet and King says, the word of the Bible and the Bible alone should be heard from the pulpit. But the Bible has been robbed of its power and the result it's seen seem in a lowering of the tone of spiritual life. You know, we have prostituted the grace of God. We said we are not under the law, we are under grace. So we are free. And what we are saying by this, we are free to sin. But my brothers and sisters, God says, this is a deal. And we said, no God, here is a deal. Titus 2, verse 11 and 13, tells us, But the grace of God, according to Titus chapter 2, and according to the whole scripture, does not give us liberty or license to sin. The grace of God teaches us to deny ungodliness. It helps us to live lives that are free from sin. But how often do we look around in our churches today and see that the spirit of tolerance had triumphed over the spirit of truth. And now in modern day sense, Tobiah the enemy of God is living in the temple. You might say, what do you mean by that? Who is Tobiah and how is he living in our temple? Let me tell you. Think of some of the enemies of God that we have allowed to come into our church today. One, loss, greed, materialism, Anger, selfishness, pride, bitterness. And boy, is that one that just penetrates and infiltrates our church today. Is It's an enemy of God. Sensuality, divorce, deceit, and godly entertainment, worldly philosophy. Beyond that, little by little, we let down our guards. We cultivated a relationship with these sworn enemies of God. We have welcomed them in our churches, or we just didn't notice when they came in. We helped them to feel at home. Romans 12 verse 2 tells us, Paul says, And be not conformed to this world, but ye must transform by the renewing of our mind, that ye may prove what, what is good, an acceptable and perfect will of God. So beyond that, we work so hard to make lost and backslidden people feel comfortable in our churches that there is very little conviction of sin left. Very little sense of God's holiness. Very little transformation, very little repentance going on. Very little manifestation of the of the presence of God. You know why? Because God is a holy God and he cannot make himself at home in, a, in an unholy place. I'm not suggesting that we are to try to alienate unbelievers in our churches. I'm not suggesting that irrelevance 
is a virtue are that we should make an effort to make churches uh, as uncomfortable for our people as possible. I'm thinking something. Some of the things we do in church, simple our tradition and our ways of doing things that have nothing to do with scripture, that have nothing to do with God leading us that way. It's just what we comfortable with. I think sometimes lost people must walk in and wonder what in the world are going on. So I'm not saying that old is better and new is bad. But what I'm saying is that relevance to the unbelieving world is our objective. Then I believe we ultimately going to do something that will forfeit the presence of God. I'm saying that sinners ought to be uncomfortable in the presence of, of a holy God. I'm saying that sinners will never be truly converted until they have experienced the conviction of God's spirit over their sin. And that is not comfortable. Church, when the fire and the presence of God in our lives and in our churches is evident, when it manifests, people will be drawn to, drawn to our churches, not because of the entertainment, not because of the program, but because God is there and they, they are seeing the reality of a holy God. Someone once said, if a non-believer non-believer walk into my church, he might think he is in a, in a bad nightclub. You hear that? In a bad nightclub. We're talking about a church now. When we realize that the world is not impressed with the religious version of itself, our greatest effectiveness, our greatest weapon is not found in being, with, being like the world, but being different from the world in being like Jesus. So in the midst of such state, my question, so, <laughs> so in the midst of such state, my question to us are, where are the Nehemiah of our days? The men and women who love God, the men and women who love holiness, the men and women who fear nothing and no one but God. Where are the saints? And a saints mean here mean a holy one. Where are the saints who act like saints? Where are those whose lives are beyond reproach in every matter, in every matter, in their homes, their work, their speech, their habits, their attitude, their finance? their relationship? Where are the believers whose eyes are filled with tears, whose heart aches when they see an unholy church entertaining itself to death by parting with, with the world? Where are the believers whose knees are sore before pleading with God to grant the gift of repentance and bring a revival to a to revival of holiness in our day? And where are the Christian leaders with compassion and courage to call the church to be clean before God. Brethren, we need to be responsible for the air we're responsible for. Where are the dads 
moms, young people who are willing to deal thoroughly and decisively with everything that, un that is unholy in their lives and homes. You see, the church has been waiting for the world to get right with God. But I, am, but I think we need to realize that the world is waiting for the church to get right with God. And when we have a passion for holiness, not the kind of holiness that walk around and tearing people's here because they, they are not obeying God. Church, Nehemiah gripe was not with the unbelieving pagans, pagan world. His concern was about God's people. You see, when the people of God get it right with God, and when we have the, this fiery passion, pure holiness that love God, then the world will stop and take notice. I'm sure today I'll close. When the people of God humble our, when we the people of God humble ourselves, when we turn from our wicked ways, then the world will have reason to know and to believe that our God is true and that our God is real. Then many of them will join us and worship him in spirit and in truth and in the beauty of holiness. Amen. Thank you for listening to today's message. We are always encouraged to know how God is working through this ministry to touch lives. If you have a story to share of how God is working in your life, please let us know by sending an email at podcast at saviinggracesda.org. As the Holy Spirit impresses you, you may also support this ministry financially by visiting saviinggracesda.org.